record now. Episode number one, or number five, I should say, of the Fantasy League podcast is here. Uh, already thinking back to episode number one. This and, isn't uh, episode one. Yeah. This is going to be the episode. One. This is going to be the episode where we get our first viewer. This isn't episode one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyways, we're live. I mean, we're already into it. And uh, I've got Steven and Tyler with me here today. Uh, Tyler back on for yet another week. Uh, thankful for him being on this week. Thankful to have Steven back. Yes, sir. Welcome back, yeah. Steven. Thank you, guys. It's been a minute, hasn't it? I've been doing all kinds of stuff you wouldn't believe. Actually, you'd probably believe it. It's cool. And welcome back to you, Tyler. Yeah, it's fun to be back, and I'm excited for uh, this week. We've got a lot of cool stuff to talk about. Yeah, I got a lot of interesting things to get into, but firstly, for you, Stephen, since you weren't here last week, um, obviously, we all know that your favorite sport is the NFL, so we want to know your Super Bowl thoughts. So, Stephen, you have the floor. All right. Well, this one's easy. Super Bowl thoughts. Uh, the Bucks uh, killed them in every conceivable fashion. Uh, Patrick Mahomes did his best, I think, but his receivers just – just couldn't pull it off. That Bucks defense was stifling. And I'm going to echo a lot of what a bunch of the announcers say about basically every Super Bowl is defense wins championships. And especially this Bucks defense. If that if that Bucks defense continues to take out high level uh talent like Patrick Mahomes they're gonna keep going back there even if they eventually lose guys like Brady and Gronk and AB to retirement or whatever else but yeah it's a it's still a true test you can you can have all the offensive firepower you want but if your defense is solid then you've got a good in so I don't know that's that's a pretty easy Super Bowl thought Bucks won handily with good defense and good play calling all around. And uh, for our, our take, your take, last week we talked about the how if, if we thought that the process worked out for the Philadelphia 76ers. And, uh, Stephen, give us your thoughts on that. Well, the quick and easy answer for this, I think, is yes. But – there, there is a conditional to this. I was, I was saying to these guys earlier, and Tyler's a 76ers fan, and he may not want to hear it, but Simmons and Embiid, these guys all have a window, and depending on how fast it closes, otherwise known as if Joel Embiid gets hurt again, they're not going to be back anytime soon. Not anytime soon to any sort of finals and through all the GMs they've had and all these different, like, roster changes and all this, all this turnover may end up catching up to them. It'll be interesting to see maybe three years down the line. I think that's going to that's gonna be my personal cutoff because of the group they've assembled right this second. If the 76ers can't get to at least a finals appearance in the next three years, they're toast, and they may as well start over. 
Tyler, any any kind of response to that as a 76ers fan? No, he's pretty he's pretty spot on. Um, something I did I want to add and uh, mention. I don't think I mentioned last week even was the addition of Doc Rivers and how that has kind of changed this team. The team now plays in a style that really fits them. Brett Brown was kind of stuck in his ways as to how he wanted them to play, knowing that there were a lot of limitations, especially to guys like Ben Simmons and. Embiid, not so much, but Simmons specifically with his, his game and pulling up from mid-range and even from three, it's non-existent. It doesn't happen. Um, so the big thing the Sixers need to do before the trade deadline, go out, get themselves a shooter. If they can do that this season, this might be the year they take the Eastern Conference and maybe even give the Lakers or Warriors a run for their money. Yep. I so, agree. Uh, so, uh, since we since we got some more uh, opinion on on the our take your take from last week, why don't we open up tonight's edition or today's edition of the podcast with our take your take? And our question for this week is perhaps the most controversial ones that we've had so far in this podcast is Trevor Lawrence the greatest quarterback prospect of all time. I'll let uh, Steven start with this one. Okay. Is Trevor Lawrence the greatest quarterback prospect of all time? I don't know. I don't – who's to say? He, he looked pretty good in his pro day. If the Jaguars don't take him at number one, they're exceedingly stupid. I – it, it remains to be seen because a lot of people cited Andrew Luck as the best quarterback prospect in a long time ever since Peyton Manning. Nobody has really equated even Trevor Lawrence's play to Andrew Luck. So I'll be curious to see if he can put the Jaguars to a 7-9 or 500 season this next year when he's their quarterback consider me impressed and I will be rooting for them to for him to be one of the better quarterback prospects in a while I think he'll definitely better be better than both of the top quarterbacks the last two drafts I think he'll be better than Burrow and I think he'll be better than I don't know whoever the guy was the year before was it Daniel Jones He'll definitely be better than Daniel Jones. But, um, yeah, it remains to be seen. They, the Jaguars and Urban Meyer just have to be smart with who they sign. They've got, they've got enough uh, capital to do it, but they got to get the right people around him in order for him to succeed. And he only becomes uh, the best prospect if he converts at the NFL level. I'll go next. Um, obviously, this is an interesting one for me as a Jags fan. Uh, there's definitely the idea that we're going to be taking him. I mean, Urban Meyer was at his pro day. You have to think the Jaguars are going to take him. Uh, if they don't, I'm going to be crushed. And uh, y'all might actually get an Instagram live for the very first time, uh, <laughs> which we've been wanting to do that on the Instagram, but haven't had a chance to yet. But you might see literal tears on my face if they take Justin Fields. Um, my answer to this question is no. 
I don't believe he's the greatest quarterback prospect of all time. Matter of fact, I, I would probably sit him at third in the last decade behind uh, Andrew Luck and Cam Newton uh, as just overall prospects. So I, I don't think he's um, the best of all time, nor do I think he's the best in this uh, decade. Um, I do think, like Steven said, he's better than anybody in the last three or four seasons. Um, now, of course, we didn't think Patrick Mahomes was going to be what he is. Um, no one would, call, would have called him a great prospect. He's a guy that just broke onto the scene, like, and no one expected it. So um, I don't He also wasn't the first quarterback taken. I also – I don't – I don't know that he'll even be Patrick close to Patrick Mahomes level of play. Um, so, I mean, I, I, I'm going to say no, Tyler, what do you think? I'm also going to say no. Um, part of me wanted to say yes. I really did, but uh, no, because if I, if I think back and we're just talking about prospects, right? We're not talking about how they perform at the NFL level. Nobody cares about the NFL levels as a prospect. So when you think of that, I can probably name you five guys right now that I would have considered better. Number one, Andrew Luck, of course. Two, Jamarcus Russell. Keep in mind, this kid had so oh, – man, now, I mean, way more than any of us. But this man had so much potential and so much, like, just so much hype to him coming into the NFL. And he took it for granted. He didn't pan out, but as a prospect, fantastic. Troy Smith. Vince Young, maybe Carson Palmer and Matt Leiner, even out of USC. I mean, I can name uh, – the list even goes on. I mean, look back at – oh, man. Um, RG3, you know, I, I think there's a lot more guys who, even than that, that can uh, be considered better than what Trevor Lawrence is coming out of, out of college and going to the NFL. Do I think he's bad? No, he's probably a top ten guy. He may even be better than some of the guys that I, I talked about. But those are just names that come off to me as a little bit more, uh, I guess, interesting and intriguing as prospects than what Trevor Lawrence looks to be right now. And I, I don't know. I guess a secondary that's, question. That's I guess a secondary question is anybody before 2000 that you guys think are, are better prospects than – Trevor Lawrence. I mean, we all Lawrence thought Ryan Leaf was better, right? Yeah. Ryan Greasy, uh, maybe. Uh, I don't know that he was better because that, that Michigan team didn't really throw the ball like that. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think, before, I think both, before 2000, I have no clue. Yeah, both Ryan Leaf and Peyton Manning I'd probably consider better than Trevor Lawrence prospect-wise. And they came out the same draft. So we'll definitely yeah, have to see. Sure. I'm going to laugh for ages when Roger Goodell walks up to the podium and goes, with the first pick in the 2021 NFL draft, the Jacksonville Jaguars select Justin Fields, quarterback, Ohio State. <laughs> well, when you train and, to expect it, um, it it's not going to be a laughing matter. Matter of fact, it's going to be <laughs> irritation. <laughs> so uh, my my big thing is, I mean, we can look back on this later, and especially after the first season, um, 
some people, I, I'm going to or compare this to being a Browns fan. Look back at Baker Mayfield being drafted. A lot of people are like, man, that's a terrible pick. That's not the guy we want. First season, he comes back six wins after an 0-16 season. I mean, that was a success in our books. And now look at where we're at. So I think for Trevor Lawrence, that team is not very well developed. I'm actually doing a franchise on Madden 21 with them. I know the roster a little bit. That roster is not a six-win team, even with Trevor Lawrence. I'd say four wins, and I'm happy if I'm a Jags fan. Yeah, that's fair. The The Jaguars are not exactly equipped to win right this second, and Trevor Lawrence may the, not do much to help that. The defense is solid. They, they just have no playmakers on the offensive side, which is what I'm really interested to see what they do this draft. Obviously, they have DJ Chark. And LaVisca Chenault could be good. Uh, James Robinson I'm really impressed with after his rookie season coming out as undrafted. Other than that, I'm not really looking at that team to do a whole lot. Like I said, four wins is probably a ceiling with Trevor Lawrence. Yeah. Siri with a little time in there. <laughs> nice. And you can't, Clay, listen, the Jaguars cannot keep playing Andrew Wingard at safety. They can't do that anymore. Stop doing that. We can't keep playing the majority of that team. Let's be real. <laughs> no. No. Ship them off to London. Well, they're going to London they're anyway off. at some point. And that's a, maybe a talk right. for another day. But Jacksonville <laughs> will end up in London. 100%. Yeah. I feel um, that. Speaking of which, uh, what do we think about some of these teams that are uh, – perhaps in some cap trouble. Okay. Well, well, I'm going to take, I'm going to give you the basic rundown of this uh, cap situation here. Lucky you, the Jaguars are coming in at number one in cap space. They've got about 77 million (laughs) that they can spend on whatever doesn't matter. Uh, There are $20 million contract for uh, Andrew Wingard. Oh, yeah. Come back for three that's, years. That's the stuff. That's exactly what they need to do. Sorry, I'm okay. looking at this cap space thing myself just to get myself. Yeah, just a little bit. There, there are currently, right this second, there are 12 teams that are under the – that are um, over the cap line. Thanks. And the rule – the rule, yeah, for sure, the Saints. But the rule in the NFL is they have to get under a certain cap ceiling by, I think it's March 21st, which is, I guess, the start of the new league year. They have to be under that point. So a lot of these teams, like the Saints, the Eagles are big in here, the Falcons, Steelers, Rams, those are just the top five. They're going to have to take massive cuts to their whole team. Because right now, I'm just going to take the Saints because they're at the top of this list. They are 69, almost $70 million over the cap. They're going to have to cut several people. And Drew Brees, Drew Brees is going to be a bunch of dead cap. They're going to have to let virtually all their free agents go. It's going to be a lot to deal with for the Saints, especially because the next closest team, the Eagles, 
they the Saints are at 69 million over. The Eagles are at 49 million over. So the Saints are way out of bounds. They gotta they gotta reel it all back in. The, there are t- there are a few teams that are barely over the cap, and I don't think this took into account, especially for the Texans, like the JJ Watt uh, release because he eats up a lot of especially that defensive line. But right now they've got the Texans at just at three million under the cap. The Giants are just one million under the cap. And the Bills are the Bills are the closest to being out of there. They are not even a million dollars over the cap. So they should be easy. The, they're just barely two hundred thousand over. So right. They need to cut like one guy with a bigger contract and they're they're set. And then after that, Titans, Bears, Vikings, those are all within reason. I think those can all be uh, squashed pretty well. But after that, it starts jumping up by tens of millions of dollars to the Raiders and Packers and Chiefs. And they all have to be under a certain cap limit by March 21st. So they have to figure out, they either have to push contracts out, sign guys to extensions and give us give them a signing bonus when they actually have room. It It's a lot of stuff right in there. But yeah, if, if the Jaguars are going to be any good, this is the year. They have the most cap space. They've got $77 million to throw it, whatever, whatever and, they so desire. And looking at some of the people that specifically the Saints are going to have to lose, and maybe a guy to replace Wingard. Marcus Williams will hit the open market. Uh, P.J. Williams, uh, also Jared Cook, Sheldon Rankins, Trey Hendrickson, who had a fantastic year for the Saints. Um, also, Ken Crawley is going to be on this list. Uh, of course, Jameis Winston, um, Nick Easton, uh, and others are on this list. Yeah. In all honesty – just hearing those names, they're not going to be able to re-sign a single one of those guys. They'll find a way to sign Jameis Winston. That's it. They'll have to let everybody else go. Or they'll have to cut guys like Cam Jordan and just big players on their team. They'll have to cut guys like Cam Jordan or Andres Pete or any of their big guys right in the middle of their team. And that cap situation is how far are the Steelers over the cap? Thirty mil. The Steelers are over the cap by thirty mil, almost exactly. So there. So theoretically speaking, um, there's no way that that they're going to even be able to trade for a guy like Deshaun Watson to play quarterback for them. Nope not not even a little bit. What about the Bears or the not- Jets? Bears are six mil over, and the Jets are actually the third most gap space. They're at 68 mil, about 69 million dollars uh, worth of yeah. cap space that they can just spend however they want. And a team I'm really looking at since I've been looking at this, the Buccaneers, they did all this with 20 mil, almost 21 mil left to spend. And then Mike Evans talking about taking a pay cut just so they can bring this team back together. That's scary. This team could only get better. I mean, if this if that stays that way, 
Yeah, and all all those main players like Vita Vea and Sean Murphy Bunting, Devin White, all those major players on their defense, they're all still on their rookie deals. Yeah, including got, uh, like, oh, what's this safety? I just lost completely. Winfield. Um, Winfield. Winfield. Yeah, I apologize. I, I don't know how that slipped my mind, but yeah, Antoine Winfield. Uh, another team I look at the Browns. Got to the division around for the first time since 95. I mean, and, um, yeah, I mean, they got 21, almost $22 million worth to spend, which is really good news for me. <laughs> How about Buffalo? But a lot of guys coming off of their rookie contracts, and Buffalo is just is $200,000 above cap. Yeah, they're, they're, barely, they're barely over. So they cut, they cut one dude. They let one guy with a massive contract go. They let Trent Murphy go, as they should. They're fine. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of speculation. I think this is going to be a really wacky offseason. I think there's going to be a couple blockbuster trades starting here. I think we'll see Nick Foles and possibly even Mr. Bisky sent on their way as well uh, come this offseason. It's going to be interesting. This is going to be a weird offseason. That comes as great news for Steven. Uh-huh. Absolutely. Praise the Lord for that. Love you, Mitch, but not really. Maybe uh, Matt and Aggie can go with him. Oh, that would be a dream. Actually, keep, I'll, I'll keep Matt and Aggie. You guys can have Ryan Pace for, like, a robber, like, cash bag. <laughs> you, can have a, you, can have, you can have Ryan Pace for a cash bag full of fake money with the biggest, fakest dollar sign just right on it. Just right on the side of it. And That's so, what you, can do. you know, we mentioned Deshaun Watson and which teams can and really can't go after him. And not only will he be on the move from Houston, J.J. Watt is has been – has he been released? Is that correct? So, uh, so the re- they basically, they released him. They, they released him so that, A, he could re-sign wherever he wants, and, B, so that way no team was going to trade for the cap that he was actually taking up. That's why he ended up getting released in the first place. Um, so then looking forward, the uh, whoever wants him can sign him at a cheaper contract and be in pretty good luck, along with the Texas not having to pay anything in return for a trade. I mean, when I look yeah. at teams, when I look at teams that are likely to go zero and sixteen next year, the the Texans are yeah. probably at the top of that list. Texans aren't looking so hot because I don't think I don't think Cal McNair is gonna be able to force Deshaun Watson to play for him. <laughs> I see the Falcons right there too, and they're uh, thirty-one million dollars above cap for anyways, so they got some work to do. They're gonna have to figure that out. But yeah, the Texans are in trouble, and something that's going to be really interesting is they continuously say we're not trading Deshaun Watson. Before this is all said and done, if they don't want him, he'll just sit. I mean, I don't think it really hurts his feelings whatsoever. They'll still pay him. Um, they may fine him, but they still pay him. Um, the Seahawks as well. I hear that there's a lot of trade rumors coming in, or a lot of trade offers coming in for Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson. Uh, has been noticeably frustrated and voicing his frustrations about the offensive line and the amount of times he's been getting hit over the last couple of seasons. So that could also become a really big one. And a question for you, Clay, I mean, what if 
say Jacksonville goes up and says, we'll give you the number one pick for Russell Wilson or Deshaun Watson. What's your move? Well, what, what are your thoughts on that one? Because I don't know. I might take that. <laughs> yeah, but Russell Wilson says he's tired of getting hit, and if he goes to Jacksonville, he's still going to get hit. So I don't know what he would get. So, he would get out of that. But. So, yeah, because Russell Wilson's, Russell Wilson's almost 30. Deshaun Watson is 25, I think. Something like 25 that. 25 at most. Uh, 26 at the, at the oldest, but I think less than that. Right. Am I crazy to say that I would take that trade for Wilson, but not for Watson? Yes. Yes. Absolutely, but <laughs> Watson's younger. I think Watson could be better if he gets the right, right guys around him. I don't blame Watson for what he's doing. If he, he doesn't want to play for the organization, he doesn't want to play for him. Uh, here's the it, his, here's, it, his qualms can be whatever they are. It don't really matter. Here's the biggest problem. He's another one I think is better than Trevor Lawrence also, and to go back to that. <laughs> here's, the, yeah. here's the problem, though, with, with Jacksonville trading the number one overall pick to the Texans is an interdivision trade. Can Jacksonville really feel comfortable giving up the number one overall pick to get a Clemson quarterback while, Tex, while Houston takes just another Clemson quarterback? So what you're banking on if you do that is that Deshaun Watson is better in the next decade than Trevor Lawrence is. Do you really feel comfortable yes. doing that? As yes. of as of right this second, yes. I'm not sure. I would take I would take Deshaun Watson over Trevor Lawrence any day. I don't care how. Yeah. Unless Trevor Lawrence becomes Tom Brady 2.0. Get out of here. I'll, I'll take. Yeah, if he if he takes the Jaguars because Watson A is more mobile, and then I mean yeah, unless Lawrence is taken into the playoffs year one, which won't happen, I dare, I promise you that's not going to happen unless some big moves are made. And I'll tell you what else won't happen, but would actually might would make more sense in this as a as a Jags fan. Trubisky, we don't <laughs> listen. Listen, oh, Minshew, Minshew is Give not, us Chark. Minshew is not great, but he's also not just awful. Now, he didn't have a great year last year. That's fair to say. And he's in the bottom half of the quarterbacks in the league. Fair, fair statement, obviously. Sure. Bottom half are of you the trying, starters, for sure. Are you trying – But what are, we, are, what are you doing? Are you making a case? Or are you not? I'm confused yeah, on what you're listen to me. Are, are you trying to justify the Jaguars sticking with Gardner Minshew when they have I the am. option to take Trevor Lawrence? In order to take a generational lineman in Panay Sewell. No. I don't but like I that. He is. Get some help. <laughs> I think he is. I mean, I'd, I wouldn't be mad if they took Panay Sewell because, I mean, you're getting a beast left tackle. I would not be mad. I, w- I would not stick with Minshew at all. I would rather take my chance and take Lawrence, and I would stick with Minshew or Jake Luton for that matter because you never know which one's going to start. I mean, if there's not an offensive line to protect Lawrence, what does it really matter? What, is, what does one offensive lineman matter for five that aren't good or four other that aren't good? I mean, certainly a fair argument there. But I mean, yeah. Franchise offensive lineman is not a thing. Yeah. You remember Jake Long? <laughs> like, the only one that really, I think, even panned out was uh, 
I mean, Jake Long was great for the Dolphins. Don't get me wrong. Joe Thomas. But Joe Thomas. But that I'm talking about like guys who were picked. I'm talking about O linemen that were picked like top five, top ten. Jake Long, Taylor Lewan. I mean, yeah, they're good, but one guy, one O lineman's not going to help when you have a potential franchise quarterback on the line. I would take the franchise QB every every time, not Easy. just because I'm a quarterback. <laughs> Yeah, if you're if you're in the top five of any NFL draft, you have to look at your quarterback situation and go, uh, could I take one here? You have to. That's like required. Yeah, I mean, certainly. I guess I guess my stock on Penesul is just ridiculously high. No, that's fair. That's why the Bengals so are I, gonna swipe him. Well, exactly. That's what I was about to say. The the Bengals, I mean, even if he fell that far, I don't expect it, but the Panthers, maybe? <laughs> I mean, I don't really know where the Panthers stand in the draft. I, I, it would take me a minute to look at that, but uh, Panthers that might... the Panthers have that excuse of they have Teddy Bridgewater. Bridgewater's not a bad quarterback. He's definitely average, but I mean, I would I would do it. Yeah. I, Panthers yeah. are number eight, so yeah, Panthers are number eight, and they just got rid of Kawan Short today, so they might just go D lineman again. They like they doing might. that. I, yeah, I mean, I have him with uh, Woody Pay. I yeah. Believe, so. I mean. Yeah, that's a good pick for them. It'll definitely be interesting to see because the Panthers could be in the market for a quarterback, and as as much as it pains me to say it. Teddy Bridgewater may end up uh, inadvertently being a bridge quarterback to a Mac Jones or a Zach Wilson or somebody that falls in the draft a little bit, and the Panthers could take a quarterback with their first-round pick, but have Teddy Bridgewater start and have him play the Tyrod Taylor to Justin Herbert until Teddy Bridgewater gets hurt. So what you're telling me, yeah, and or is that... Tyrod Taylor to Baker Mayfield. What right. you're telling me, uh, Stephen, is that Teddy is a bridge to warmer Mac Jones water. Yes. I, I can get behind that. <laughs> you're a clown, but whatever. Yeah, it, it works. <laughs> <laughs> We're having a good time here. Um, so this is a newly uh, minted topic that we came up with beforehand, and I wanted to get to it here. Um, what, so the new the Brooklyn Nets, um, and and with newly acquired guard James Harden, um, Tyler, what has James Harden and the Nets been doing ever since the blockbuster trade went down? We talked about that trade a couple of weeks ago um, on what was it, Stephen? Episode two or three of the podcast? Something like that, yeah. Um, well, uh, currently, seat. currently they are losing to uh, Phoenix, uh, twenty-six to eighteen in the first. But if we look, even before that, we looked a couple nights ago. Um, or, well, what was it? The sixteenth. We looked a week ago, February 9th. Nets Pistons. Pistons win one twenty-two to one eleven. Um, oh, first off, James Harden and DeAndre Jordan have a little bit of a spout uh, on the sidelines. Uh, Harden frustrated with Jordan, uh, DeAndre Jordan's defense. Don't know how Harden can get mad at somebody's defense, but 
beyond me. Um, I really want to look at who was with it, who was in the game, or who might have been out of the game or didn't play here. Um, yeah, I mean, Kyrie Irving, James Harden, uh, Kevin Durant did not play in this game, it looks so. Um, not not sure why. I remember he got pulled from a game and he was really upset about that. But, yeah, the loss of the Pistons or the loss of the Raptors the night before. Durant was forced to leave, actually, in that game. Started the game before, not the night before. Take a look at that box score. We also look at James Harden, Kyrie Irving, both playing 35-plus minutes and 15 and 17 points. The problem is I don't know how they're going to work out sharing the ball between each other. They're all play-first kind of guys. I know Harden has mentioned that he wants to – he went to Brooklyn to become a playmaker. He went to Brooklyn to make plays, assists, stuff like that, to get the ball to Kyrie and the KD. But I just – I don't see it working. I think it's three guys who want control and three alpha dogs, if you would. And uh, I just I, – I didn't like it in the beginning, and I, I still don't like it now. And that's just my personal opinion of it. Yeah. Arguably – when looking at stats, especially the last like 10-ish games, I'd say it's been about 10 games, maybe a little more than 10 games since that trade went down. Out of all of those teams, the, in, by purely their record in the last 10, the Nets do have a decided lead over like the Rockets, Pacers, and Cavs, who they've, who who all those teams were involved in this whole thing. But yeah, it definitely feels like an alpha dog uh, situation in, uh, in Brooklyn. That's why uh, Kyrie, why, Kyrie didn't want to be in Cleveland because LeBron was there. He wanted to get out of LeBron's shadow. Kevin didn't want to play with Russell Westbrook anymore, and he's the definition of NBA ball hog. And James Harden has played on a couple different – he played on a couple different Thunder teams with uh, Kevin Durant, so they seemingly know their play styles. But Kevin and James Harden specifically, even though they did play on the same team together – they had wildly different roles to when they to what they have right now. Yes, Kevin was still like a starting power forward, but he hadn't reached when they were playing for the Thunder. They he Kevin Durant hadn't quite reached that. Oh, this is an elite level forward we have on our hands. He hadn't quite reached that point yet. And James Harden was a sixth man at absolute best. Now they got put in excellent situations with the team that they had by themselves where they were essentially the sole superstar. But yeah, adding them all back together, especially when they have no uh, beforehand chemistry, it seems like a risky move. I, I definitely agree. It seems like a risk. They are doing pretty well as of right this second, but I wouldn't be entirely surprised here in a couple months when they have the NBA playoffs if they get knocked out in the first or second round and we don't see them in the finals. Yeah, and something I want to add before Clay gets to it. Um, they're 6-4 in their last 10 games. Philadelphia is also 6-4. That's the top two seeds in the East. Milwaukee 5-5. Five five. The rest of the East is kind of 
not all that great, to be honest. New York's been really good since Derrick Rose got there or got back there. And then we take a look at the Western Conference. And this is a conference that I think whoever wins the West is winning the, the championship. It doesn't matter what happens unless it's Philadelphia. Philadelphia's on top of their game. And even then, I don't think it's going to happen. Look at Utah, 9-1. and one. Lakers, 8-2. and two. Clippers, 7-3. Phoenix, 9-1. and one. Portland, 8-2. and two. San Antonio, 7-3. That's the top six seeds. There's an, 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 up here, all are sub-500 from four on down. I mean, the West is going gonna, gonna to take more than that. It's going to take more chemistry than that to uh, really make something happen whether you're in Brooklyn or Philadelphia against West. Yeah, the West is especially tough this season. You're absolutely right. I don't know. Like it, for me, it's, it's tough because, you know, I'm not that big of an NBA fan. So without kind of looking like an idiot here, it seems to me like this has been – what with what this team is with Kyrie and KD and James Harden now, you'd think that that trio would just run things in the East, and they're only six and four. So I mean, and I and I guess something that needs to be considered here is that teams like that, who get a trio of superstars like that, take a while to gel. For each, like Stephen said. Um, when they, when Harden and Durant were teammates on the Thunder, they had wildly different roles. It's all about finding the right role and gelling. Um, and I think for a while there, it took the Lakers last year a, a, a little while to figure out their roles on their team. Um, and it I, took I, them a year. Yeah, it took them mm-hmm. a while. I mean, I mean, it took them a whole season. They went, they didn't even make the playoffs, and then last year they go and went. And win. So I mean, it could change next season, but now not to cut you off, but just yeah. kind of to give some yeah. perspective as to what what it was. I mean, you look at L.A. before they traded Lonzo, before they pulled in. I mean, really, what changed it was pulling in Anthony Davis, and uh, so I mean, it'll be interesting. We'll see what happens. I just don't see this team there. Those three specifically doing enough to make that team. Uh, a finals contender. But I think ultimately, if you're a Nets fan, you're really happy right now because your team is above Boston, Toronto, and they're a game and a half behind Philly in the standings. I mean, you're happy. You're, you're thrilled if you're a Nets fan, even though you're six and four in your last 10 games. Yeah, but also, like Tyler was saying, yes, the 76ers and Nets, they're, they're pretty good. The East is on a very, very top-heavy division, and the West is top-heavy a lot more than they are. And There's more depth, if you will. Exactly. And they definitely have – I don't see the 76ers or the Nets or whoever ends up the Eastern Conference champion. It's going to look a lot like last year is we're going to go into – a cup into a championship game with a powerhouse West team that's perfectly gelled and just just like a Lakers or an even like a Jazz because they're at the top of their game right now. You're gonna have a perfectly Sons. exactly. You're gonna have a perfectly gelled wet West team, 
and then a team like the Miami Heat, and you're going to sit there watching the NBA Finals go, ah, they're going to lose, aren't they? I don't think Harden and Kyrie and Durant are even going to do much to change that, even if it does end up being them in the finals. They're still going to be the team. They're still going to be be the team that everybody goes, ah, you made it to the finals. That's nice. I want to watch you you guys get crushed. Now you get to lose. The big problem is they're too busy trying to share the ball between each other. They're too busy trying not to piss each other off, honestly. And uh, they're not riding the hot hand. that's the big thing. I know I liked what Harden said. He's trying to be more of a, a playmaker, trying to find other guys that are open. I love it. I like to see it. But at the same time, if he's the hot hand, he's got to take shots and not be afraid to do so. Yeah, they're they're trying to pad each other's stats, which in some ways can be good, but in it's other not, ways – It's not good at all. In other ways, it's a, definitely not. Move. Because all three of those guys, any given night, can score 30 points a game. But they can't be throwing it around saying, okay, you get 30 points, you get 30 points, and never shoot the ball. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, so I thought about Russell Westbrook and James Harden, two guys that are stat heavy. They, they like stats, specifically Russ. I, I have never been a fan of his game because he does seem very – very intrigued and very instilled to make sure he gets the stats no matter what happens. You don't yeah. see triple-double seasons because guys just play to win the game. And, uh, like, triple-double averages, I should say. And um, when you see it, it kind of makes you ask questions. Yeah, absolutely. And if any of you guys have seen any highlights of Bradley Beal for the last, like, how many games, he wants to die. <laughs> Yeah, no, he wants to leave. He's 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 been pretty adamant about it. Um, in some quotes that I've seen as well, he's yeah. frustrated. He it seems as though he doesn't want to be there. And that's what happens when you get a guy who just wants stats. And I think that's going to start happening in Brooklyn to guys like Joe Harris, guys like maybe even DeAndre Jordan. I mean, at some point, they're going to get fed up with a stat-heavy mindset. They're just going to leave. And, and then what are you going to have? You're going to have three good players. Surrounded by a bunch of guys who just are aren't really worth it. Yeah. And so we've arrived at what is our final topic of the night, um, and and Tyler and I are kind of excited to talk about this one. Steven's still sort of kind of learning about this, but we want to roll over the Daytona 500. Um, an exciting, exciting week of racing. Um, you know, it really started on Tuesday night with the Bush Clash, um, which I'll tell you what was for and Stephen. Stephen doesn't know this, but you missed a, uh, quite a week of racing, Stephen. Um, and so in the Bush Clash, they ran it on the road course. Um, final lap, Chase Elliott, Ryan Blaney two best friends off the track wreck each other more or less off the final turn of the road course at in Daytona. Neither of them win the race. Tyler and I are both heartbroken. Tyler, of course, a Chase Elliott fan, myself, a Ryan Blaney fan. Um, I'm a a fan of both. Hang on. (laughs) I am a fan of both. I'm a fan of both, but 
Our, I am our, a I am a yeah. diehard for both of them guys, but man, that was that was tough to watch. I was really upset. But then my my number four, if you will, would have came by and won it. So let's go. It was a it was a rough night, yeah. You know? It was a tough night. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting racing. It was actually a really good race. I, I was thoroughly impressed with with it. Looked really good in the road course under the lights. I think they should do that more. Um for any road course race, road course under the lights look good. Um, but yeah, tough night, and uh, for both of us, of course, we had a a little bit of a blow up argument after that one. Just yes, we did because we were both on differing sides. But uh, overall, pretty good time, and uh, it was a good, it was a good race one way or the other, no matter what side you were on. The next night, Wednesday night, Daytona 500 qualifying which set the front row for the field and Hendrick teammates, Alex Bowman and William Byron would uh, qualify one and two. Um, we would also lock in two open cars, which would end up being David Reagan and Ryan Priest uh, in the 36 and 37 cars. Um, yeah. And uh, Bowman, I mean, you may think that was a close, no, no Bowman was like a, a tenth and a half quicker than uh, William Byron. And cars that were pretty similarly set up, so it was definitely an impressive run for Alex Bowman, not something to shy away from. Then the following night, Thursday night, we had the Daytona duels. And I'll tell you what, the first the first duel was kind of laid back. Um, maybe, a, maybe a couple moves there at the end. Eric Almarola would come away with that, uh, which would allow, allow him to start third in the Daytona 500. Um, then we got a rain delay before the second duel got underway. And that second duel was crazy. Uh, I should also mention with the first duel, Austin Sendrick, uh, the fourth driver for Team Penske, would race his way into the 500 um, under much controversy. Um, Ty Dillon would finish ahead of him, but because Ryan Priest was the top finishing open car, it went back to qualifying, and Sendrick set the third fastest time. Austin Sendrick would make the Daytona 500. The second duel was wild, to say the least, wasn't it, Tyler? Yeah, uh, you saw – we saw the 23XI team, 2311 Racing. Uh, Michael Jordan, Denny Hamlin, brought that car out. And Bubba Wallace, the driver, he was – that car was fast all weekend, really. Um, unfortunately, what happened to him in the 500, but we can talk about that later. Um, but throughout Thursday night, that car was fast. It was pushing. It was pulling the pack fantastic car that uh, that team brought them really that actually excited me for what this season could be for them um and other news for that race william byron we just talked about him qualified on the front row not anymore got wrecked uh, got caught up in a wreck it really wasn't his fault um uh, yeah garrett smith really tried to make a move to pass uh noah gregson noah gregson ended up turning the two car of Brad Kozlowski and ended up catching Byron, not even a Byron's fault. And that sent, I think we had what, eight or nine cars to the back of the field in general, because we also had a wreck previously that involved rookie Chase Briscoe, well, rookies Chase Briscoe and uh, Anthony Alfredo. And, you know, I started talking to Tyler. Fast pasta. I started, I started listening to, uh, or I, I talked to Tyler about this afterwards. You know, 44 cars entered this race or entered the chance to make the 500. Only 40 make the field. 
Um, 36 of those cars were locked into the race. So four cars raced their way in and four went home. Raced or qualified their way in, four went home. And that wreck happened. Those two wrecks happened as a result of having to be aggressive. And um, Tyler and I talked about this. There's four cars that have charters, all owned by Rick Ware. They can never keep up with the field. They don't des he doesn't deserve to have any charters. Meanwhile, you got some of these cars that aren't chartered and had to race their way in, like Ryan Priest in the 37, uh, Ty Dillon in the 96, Austin Sendrick in the 33. David Reagan. David Reagan in the 36. Um, all able to – Noah Gregg's in the 62. All able to keep up with the pack. And they had to try to race their way in. And in that second duel, Smithley, another open driver in the 13, got too aggressive trying to get past the 62. And a big wreck happens. This, the, the charter system is a problem in NASCAR. Um, and without going on too much of a soapbox here, and it, just, it just needs to be fixed. My, I have a bigger problem with the fact that Austin Center got into the race. I don't care that he finished 12th. Um, yeah, he, he finished the lap down the dual race. Ty Dillon finished, what, sixth? Just ridiculous. But aside from that, it was a good night of racing, even in the duels uh, and races we thought were going to be kind of laid back. And after the carnage of duel number two, um, David Reagan, who qualified his way in, would also be the top finishing, finishing opening car. So it went to the fourth fastest qualifier, which was Colleague Racing's Kaz Gralla. Uh, and Kaz Gralla would make his first Daytona 500. Um, and Colleague Racing's, I believe, second Daytona 500 start. Uh, I could be wrong on I that. I believe so. So uh, the field was set for the Daytona 500. We set the cup cars aside on Friday night for the truck race. And uh, to make a long story short yeah. about that race, uh, Ben Rhodes would come out on top um, in what I think was a crash field race. Uh, I was traveling that night, so didn't get a chance to watch it. Um, but Ben Rhodes would come out on top. Uh, on Saturday afternoon, we got the Xfinity cars out, and uh, Austin Sendrick would capture a win for Team Penske. Team Penske's first win uh, at the Daytona International Speedway. A lot of good cars taken out and a wreck with 15 to go. Uh, Ty Dillon would get loose in front of the field and take out quite a few good cars. Um, two or three junior motorsports cars would be taken out. Uh, a couple of college racing cars would be taken out, among others. Um, uh, SHR's car, Riley Hurts, taken out in that one uh, as well. Um, but Austin Sendrick would come through to win. Uh, and then it was race day uh, for the Daytona 500. Um, set the stage for us, Tyler. Well, first off, I want to shout out a couple of drivers in particular. One, Corey Roker. Hits the wall going into two in the truck race on the final lap. Still makes the pass for the lead. Ends up getting passed by Ben Rhodes. He finished third. Two, the guy who finished second for the second year in a row, Jordan Anderson. Fantastic last lap of the truck race. The Xfinity race was kind of – was okay, to say the least. There, there was one surprise – or a couple surprise cars up there, but otherwise nothing too crazy. But, yeah, the Daytona 500, we already talked about it. A lot of cars, I think there were eight or so cars that went to their rear, maybe even more. Um, and then we get started. The green flag drops, and a lot of aggressive pushing early in the race. I was really surprised at the way that race started. Um and then 15 laps in, 
we have the big one, part one. Well, maybe before um, we even get to that, we should talk about lap three of the race. Oh, yeah. Well, let's, not, let's also not forget 20 years since Dale Earnhardt Sr. was uh, tragically killed in an accident in turn three on the final lap of the 2001 Daytona 500. And on lap three of this race, the scoreboard's lit up with the number three. Every single thing on the scoreboard says three. Everybody in the stands holding up the number three, uh, all in tribute. And on lap three, the guy who beat Dale Sr. in 1990, because Dale Sr. cut a tire on the last lap, Derek Cope cuts a tire, and right at the end of lap three, and uh, yeah, that was a uh, that was a wild situation amongst many others uh, throughout this race. Um, but yeah, then we push forward again in lap 14, the big one. We get a weather delay. The big one collected a lot of guys. Eric Almarola, Alex Bowman, uh, Ryan Blaney. Matt DiBenedetto. Who else? Matt, yeah, Matt DiBenedetto, Daniel Suarez. That, that, night, fast, by the that way. was almost half the field, wasn't it? Was fast. About 19 cars were involved. 12, 11 were out of the race from that. Including race winner Michael McDowell, who got a nick of the wall, uh, got into the wall, uh, trying to miss that wreck. Um, but, yep. you know. But then we get a rain delay. Martin Truex Jr., series champion, was also yeah, right. this one. Yeah, there was a lot. It was just, it was an insane start the race. I'd never seen something like it, at least not in the first 10, 15 laps, the amount of pushing and shoving that went on. Then we'd get a five-hour. Right after that. Five-hour, 40-minute rain delay. Um, we weren't sure that we were even going to be able to finish that race on, on Sunday. Um, around 9, 9 p.m. Eastern time, we get the race back going. And the race gets boring because you get 20 or so cars, more or less taken out, most of them being really competitive. Um, and you get 185 laps of running single file. A few notable incidents here. Um, Chase Briscoe, Quinn Half involved in a crash. Um, midway through stage one, I believe. Quinn Half's day's done. Chase Briscoe keeps going, um, but pretty much out of contention. Another good Stuart Haas racing car taken out. Um, then you'd get a wreck. Um, about midway through the race, Christopher Bell would blow a tire and collect Ricky Stenhouse. Um, and Jamie McMurray, among others. Shout out to McMurray. Uh, we'll talk about more about Jamie McMurray here in just a minute. But a um, couple of wrecks there. Um, were there any other wrecks, Tyler? I don't. I don't think there were. Before. Um, before we get to the last lap. Yeah, there weren't any yeah, other big ones. I don't think there were any other. Big ones. Interesting to say the least. Um, if that's all we got, the first two stages were won by Denny Hamlin. I can't really say we're surprised that the guy has a fantastic play racer. Um, but yeah, other than that, there really wasn't a whole lot that went down. Um, just looking through here to make sure. Yeah, I mean, not a whole lot else throughout this race. So Tyler so set the stage for the final two laps of this one. Well, really, we just need to set it for the final lap. Uh, Joey Logano and Brad Kozlowski leading the field. 
all single file. I, not until the last lap do they decide to break the single file chain that's been going on for the last 184 laps. And um, so we see bracket. Well, it starts with uh, Austin Dillon went from fourth or fifth in the back, fifth drops down uh, in front of Kevin Harvick and trying to get a run up towards the front. Doesn't really pan out. Because came back, Brakoslavski came down the block. Uh, Austin Dillon along with Joe Logano. And then Kozlowski along. Logano both go up high. McDowell shoves Kozlowski. I mean, not necessarily shoves, but just gives him a huge push going into turn three. Kozlowski tries to make a move on the inside. I'm not sure really what happened. It looked like he got loose or he just kind of tried to tried to maybe cross over Logano. I don't honestly know what he was trying to do, but he ends up spinning, collects Logano, and then Kozlowski head on into turn three wall, and probably one of the scarier wrecks, not to include last year, uh, Ryan Newman on his way worse, but Kyle Busch at 195 miles an hour goes head on into the side of Kozlowski's car, sends Kozlowski's car up into the catch fence. Just a wicked crash. Thankfully, everybody is okay. But Michael McDowell ends up coming through there unscathed. Just declared the winner of the race. Um, second place would be Chase Elliott. Very heartbreaking for me. <laughs> um, and then Austin Dillon in third, along with Kevin Harvick and Denny Hamlin in your top five. And what's also to note is that that fiery crash was perhaps made worse by Austin Sendrick following in behind Kyle Busch uh, at the at 195, slamming into Busch and Keselowski. Bubba Wallace comes through. He's involved. Uh, the 41 of Cole Custer got in there a little bit late. Uh, Logano would Kyle have, Larson. Kyle Larson actually got uh, pushed out of the way and into the wall by Denny Hamlin. I'm not even shocked. I think uh-huh. the <laughs> Castain caught some of that wreck. Yeah, oh. single file doesn't work on the very last yeah, Chastain, NASCAR race. Chastain, Chastain got absolutely demolished. He wasn't even on the lead lap anyways, to my knowledge. He was. He finished sixth. Seventh. He was seventh, but yeah, my bad. I didn't even see him see that, but yeah. Chastain was seventh. Um, Ryan Priest was sixth after not even thinking he was going to had a chance to the 500. Ends up coming in sixth. I mean, you're in a wreck there. Two big wrecks. Great run for Ryan Priest. And then, as you were talking about, Jamie McMurray comes home eighth. And Corey LaJoy in his first run for Spire Motorsports comes home ninth. And then Kyle Larson has returned to NASCAR with a top ten. And so what's also to note here is we had 20 years after Dale Sr., some more craziness, uh, head, head head-on impact into the wall, turn three, same thing that happened to Dale Sr., and in 2001, um, after 461 career starts, I think it is, Michael Waltrip would come through to win his very first race. He would become the sixth driver in NASCAR history to win his first race in the Daytona 500. Um, and this year, another head-on crash into the turn three wall. And another Michael, Michael McDowell, comes through to become the eighth driver to win his very first race um, in the Daytona 500. You might be wondering who that seventh driver was. Well, that happened 10 years ago, um, literally in the middle. 
here. Trevor Bain for Wood Brothers Racing would be the seventh driver to win his first race in the Daytona 500. And you want to know something really insane about that? The hauler driver for that 21 car, Michael McDowell, a guy who was driving at the time for a couple start and park teams. That's very funny. interesting, a full circle story. Really cool, really cool read. I, I don't know where I read it, but it was interesting. Yeah, that's neat. I didn't even know that. That's sick. And so that would be the third win for Front Row Motorsports, um, having previously won with uh, David Reagan and uh, the other David one. Reagan. Yeah. <laughs> Who? David Reagan twice, I'm pretty sure. I David, think it was yeah. David Reagan Watts. twice. David Reagan did it twice. At Daytona and Talladega, correct? Something like that. I think – hang on. Um, Something like that. Maybe David Gilliland got one. No. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> I don't even David, know. Hey, I'm David actually I'm looking right now. Hang on. David Gilliland doesn't get anything nice. I'm looking into this right now just so we can make sure that we have our facts right. So, David Reagan. Okay, David Reagan won it at Daytona, but it was not. It was a jack of a grouse. Um, but Bob Jenkins and that uh, – they got three. They had McDowell. Busher at Pocono. Oh, Chris Busher at Pocono. Yeah, I totally forgot about that. That, that was a <laughs> weird race, too. I couldn't fit. Whatever. <laughs> that, was an, that was an interesting one. It was good to see – also, just off the rip here, good, good to see Ryan Newman back at Daytona um, after his Even skipping last year. Only lasted 15 laps. And so that was really the talking point of, of this race is big crash 15 laps in, takes out a bunch of competitive cars, then 185 laps of choo-choo, choo-choo, okay. single-file train-type racing. And just, I mean, a person who, who watches NASCAR for the wrecks only could not have watched that race. No. <laughs> No. Even even for guys that watch like me that literally watch it religiously and every single week. That was not an interesting. I was really kind of disappointed, honestly. I figured it would be a little bit more exciting. But that's what happens when you see um, a big wreck early. You, you see a big wreck early at Daytona or Talladega, it's going to get really kind of calm and uh, just a lot of follow the leader, not for any other reason. They're just trying to save their stuff for the end. Yeah, there's and, not uh, the end of that race didn't disappoint by any means, but it was just and it wasn't like it was a bad race, but it was just kind of you lulled your way through it. Yeah, there isn't many more cars to take out once half the field's gone by lap five. And uh, just a really nice feel good story Michael McDowell and his 356th start or something like that, um, without a win finally gets a positive stamp on his career uh his career defining moment prior to this one um 2008 qualifying at texas in the car of tomorrow generation of cars loses his brakes going into turn one decides to hit the accelerator instead into the wall up and over barrel rolls 13 times in one of the most wicked crashes in nascar history um, and he finally has a positive stamp on his career. Um, really exciting for him. Good for him. Um, 
a lot of people forget that he's actually mainly a road course guy. Um, yeah. It's been ever since. He's actually done fantastic in road courses in the last couple of years, I, I might add. Um, but also, he's been a very good, a very consistent super speedway racer. I'm not surprised that he was up there at the end. Um, surprised, surprised to see him win, for sure. But that's what Daytona and Talladega bring. It's interesting. It's a, definitely a really good feel-good story. Uh, obviously, I was disappointed that Chase Elliott wasn't the winner. But looking back on it, that's a fantastic time, and I definitely am uh, really glad I got to witness it. And on the opposite side, of course, Tyler, as a Chase Elliott fan, the defending Cup Series champion, this close to winning his first Daytona 500. And you were heartbroken, man. You were absolutely heartbroken talking to you after that race. Um, to, say the, to say the least, and, uh, you know, I felt it. Ryan Blaney was runner-up a season ago in a very similar situation. Actually, it was the exact opposite um, situation uh, that we got to this year. Um, that's another story for another day. Um, but certainly, gotta, gotta be heartbreaking to see your driver finish runner-up in the, in the Daytona 500, a race that's already just so hard to win. But like I told Tyler, I mean, just to finish that race is, is really, really yeah. good. To finish um, any restricted play race is fantastic. Like, you just amazing run, let alone win it. There's four super speedway races a year, or restrictor plate races, two at Daytona, two at Talladega. Um, and on average, drivers wreck out of those races. Uh, and the big one, because um, there's a big one just about every super speedway race in history. Um, and drivers wreck out on average in two or three of those four um, super speedway races. So just to finish one, fantastic. It's it's a great points day. And certainly a great points day. Second second straight second place finish at Daytona as well. He ended up pushing William Byron in the win a year ago. So. And one of my favorite paint schemes, the Hooters Night Out car. Um, <laughs> a fantastic scene. <laughs> Not because of Hooters, but because that car is good. <laughs> car is good. Um, yeah. But, yeah, no, it, fantastic. I, I was really proud, again, looking back on it to see, you know, you just finished that race and the first time in his career. I think he's finished it without something going wrong. Almost won in 2017, ran out of gas. So, I mean, I, I'm not too disappointed. I'm, I'm content. Especially getting to go to the road course this coming weekend, Chase Elliott. Road course ringer. Um, he owns Watkins Glen uh, and the Charlotte Robel, more or less. Now, Ryan Blaney has something to say about that. Um, but Chase Elliott. Not the Charlotte Robel and the, and the, and the uh, Watkins Glen, but Daytona, I watch out for Blaney. Blaney could get himself a win. It's not controversial finish, <laughs> whether it be because of a wreck or something else. <laughs> right. Because Charlotte Roble, he's got a he's got a way to win in just the weirdest ways, man. I, I can't believe it sometimes. But love Blaney to death. Love Chase Elliott. Like I said, my two favorite drivers. So either way, I'd be happy this weekend. And Steven, you know, hearing us talk about any of this, any thoughts from your end or – any questions or anything like that? I know you're still sort of kind of jumping back into the sport or no, jumping yeah. for the first time. So I've not 
gone into a NASCAR season just quite this hard since uh, like 2012. Because Tyler doesn't know this, but my favorite uh, NASCAR driver, especially back then when I used to watch it religiously, was Casey Kane. I like that. A dirt racer. That's yeah. solid. I take that. Yeah, he was one of my favorites. But then like then I kind of dropped off the map and then he retired. Then I had then I had no one else to watch. So I'm just now kind of getting back into it. But yeah, it's interesting. Like I know how all the rules and stuff work. It there some of them are very strange. But uh yeah, just getting back into it cool to get back into stock cars you know and i mean this is indy car season coming up an f1 season for those of you who are into it i I don't know who all is into that other than me i'm just a a race fanatic i got a world of outlaws flag hanging behind me that you guys can see (laughs) i mean it's all (laughs) it's all over the place for racing for me so uh, it's I'd say, you know, overall in this race, we got about 160 laps of single file racing. But even then, we've got NASCAR back. And, I mean, in the world we live in, we could easily not. So, I mean, you can say, well, yeah, 160 of those laps were as boring as they could get. But this is the final season of this generation of car. We get a new generation of car next year. Um, Very excited to see what that turns into. But you get a Daytona 500 with some wrecks in it, uh, some crazy wrecks, and a first-time winner. Everybody likes a good underdog story. And I thought it was a great Daytona 500 send-off. Final Daytona 500 for this generation of car and a good send-off for this car. Um, and a great start to the season. And it's going to be a good one. I'm excited to see what the season brings. Yeah, as I said, next week the Daytona Road Course. Hopefully, we get a chance to talk about that next week. But uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's going to be a fun season for NASCAR. It's going to be a fun. I think it's going to be a fun race season overall. There's a lot of really good talent throughout all of racing. Um, due to IndyCar, IndyCar is really getting good right now. Um, and then even F1, F1 starting to get better. And with the new cars that are coming out, there's a good chance that we don't see a Mercedes championship this year, and that would be very interesting and kind of shocking. Thank the Lord. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we've had a good time tonight, gentlemen. Uh, Any final thoughts in regards to anything? Oh, I just want to point out. Come to Chicago. Deshaun, come to Chicago. You know you want to, please. We didn't even get to that. Yeah, but J.J. Watt and Deshaun Watson is going to be an interesting story to see where they end up. Hopefully by next week, we uh, we maybe have some some news here. It was really kind of a, a slow week in sports. I want to point out that my Michigan uh, Athletic Association, <laughs> or just the Michigan University of Michigan Athletics, all returned this week and really in a fantastic way. Uh, Michigan women went out and beat Michigan State today, 86-82. And, yes, no, Sunday, the uh, Michigan men's basketball team went out and uh, came out a little slow against Wisconsin and then turned it around and come back with a comeback win and really, really good fashion. Looks really good. And this team stays pretty much purchased as a, as a lock or a one seed come uh, March. But that's all my thoughts for this week. <laughs> 
<laughs> I know it was a lot. But. I just hope we get something more to talk about next week. And, um, you know, this was a really good one, too. I mean, last week was good. The week before that was good. It's always a good time getting on here. Um, this has been another episode, episode number five of the Fantasy League podcast. I'm Clay. I'm Steven. I'm Tyler. Have a great night, everybody.